All right, this morning as we prepare to be uh, studying out of Acts 8, we're back in the book of Acts. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and we've got some, uh, we've got some ushers that will bring you one if you need a Bible. Anybody? Okay, fantastic. Let me go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to guide our time. We are uh, speaking about evil today, so we better enter in with some prayer, shall we? All right, let's commit our hearts to prayer. Father, today we look at the history of the church and we see a paradox. We see the violent approach and destruction of evil at work. And yet in the midst of that, we see a response that creates joy. Lord, I want to thank you that you have not removed your hand of grace from your people. That in the midst of the evilness that is around us, and the evil that prevails, that you inserted your Son into that evilness to provide hope to provide salvation to provide peace and love and i pray that as we walk away today that each person is able to see the history of the church to be able to grab a hold of the reality of what happens all around us not just in our our world here father but that this was right there right at the beginning of the church And what can we learn from this? It's going to help our life. Help us to understand you in a deeper way and help us to be removed from unnecessary pain, hurt, and suffering. What do we do with the problem of evil, Father? We look to Jesus. Thank you that we have that hope. Amen. So turn with me to Acts 8, verses 1 through 8. I think I've got this up on the screen. Today, we're going to finish with this idea that we want to acknowledge the reality of evil, we want to acknowledge your choice to reject or indulge in evil, and we want to acknowledge the hope that God provides in the face of evil. If we walk away today holding to those three major concepts, then I think we've arrived somewhere. I think we've got a good starting point. I think maybe we speak to the challenges that we live with. So let's dive in and let's unlock some of the mystery here. How many of you like a good mystery? How many of you think that you can really solve mysteries? My family kicked me out of the, the, the family room the other day. We call it the, um, the chill zone. And uh, they were watching a mystery and I'm kind of banned from there a lot anyway because I'll come in and if there's a really cheesy movie and I'll, I'll just start inserting my own dialogue into the movie and they get so angry at me. And I'm like, look, this is better than that. You know, I mean, what, and, and so I get banned a lot. But I love mysteries because I love figuring them out. And this is where I really struggle with my pride. You may be this person that you figured it out in the first five minutes. And uh, uh, my family just hates it, but... My son was actually amazed 
um, that I called this major, major shift in a movie early on. I love unlocking a mystery. Here's my challenge this morning, to unlock this mystery of evil and what to do about it. Because if we truly are able to see the evil that is around us and acknowledge it, I believe our lives would be very different in the midst of that evil. But we have an illness. We have a sickness. And we need to expose that. We need to unravel that mystery. So join with me this morning. Let's continue on. We have just left um, one of the brightest spots in all of Scripture in the New Testament in the church. Stephen got killed. And uh, didn't really end well for him in some terms, right? As we look at that, we think, Stephen, what were you doing? Why were you going after your enemies? Why were you rubbing in their faults? Why were you challenging them with the truth? Because people really don't want to hear the truth, especially if the truth exposes their own evilness. And what ensued because of the truth that Stephen spoke? We are going to kill you on the spot, Stephen. But the reality of that story is that Stephen saw the glory of heaven opened up. And there was rejoicing that is recorded as his last words. There was no sorrow in his tone. There was simply a longing for Jesus. And what happened was God opened the heavens and gave him a vision so that you and I can see that as in, in the midst of just this horrible evilness, God provides an answer. And the response by the individual is not one of great sorrow. It's not one of tragedy. It's one of rejoicing. And so this morning, we pick up where that story ends, and all of a sudden, one of the main characters of the New Testament church is inserted. Remember, Paul did not write the book of Acts, and yet the book of Acts, much of it is about Paul. Here's our first introduction to the Apostle Paul. By the way, let me unlock the mystery. His name early on is Saul. All right, movie over. Now we solved that problem. So what's happening is that Luke, who happens to be part of Paul's entourage later in life, traveled with Paul, was a missionary buddy with Paul, right? that Luke writes this, and suddenly in the midst of the story, he picks this point to insert the beginning of our relationship with Paul. Prior to him meeting Jesus, his name was Saul. Let's look at the passage. It says this, starting in verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, his being Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So this morning, as you look at this passage, what do we do with this? Well, the first examination, the cursory examination, makes us understand 
that what happens here in the midst of Stephen's death is that individuals, especially Saul, is emboldened by evil to greater evil. You've seen this happen, haven't you? You've seen this happen on the playground growing up where somebody starts to pick a fight with someone. And, and when that happens, these two isolate themselves behind the bleachers, uh, behind the gym, and it's only those two, right? It's always just two people in a private conversation and a private scuffle. No! There is a gang that gathers. When I was a freshman in high school, I made the dubious mistake of insulting our freshman football team in my second period class. They were 0 and 9. And somehow the conversation came up, and the guy I'm talking with is actually a good friend of mine, and I just basically said, man, you guys stink. And here's the problem, because I said it to him, you know, spirit, school spirit, doesn't matter what the truth is, school spirit, don't ever put down your team, right? Because I said that in front of people, which I, I shouldn't have, I said it in front of people, he felt what? He felt attacked. So what's he going to do? You and me in front of the gym at lunch. Right? Now the gauntlet's been laid down. Let's just fast forward to lunch, shall we? A lot happened in between that time, but let's fast forward to lunch. It, it reminds me of, of a scene out of one of the great classics of the 80s, Better Off Dead. Right? And they're in this lunchroom, and Lane Meyer is talking about the ski team, and this guy says, you and me on the K-12, 3 o'clock today, just us. And then over the loudspeaker, this just in, everybody to the K-12 at 3 o'clock, and everybody jumped. That's exactly what happened in front of the gym at lunch. And I suddenly find myself in a scuffle of sorts. And every time that I started to do something, now I'm not approving of this, but every time I started to hold my own, I would get attacked by somebody from the outside. Because why? They felt emboldened. They felt emboldened. That is exactly what's happening here. Stephen is killed at the hands of the religious leaders. There is a young man named Saul. He would have been young at this time. And because of this, it actually says later on, and we'll, we'll touch on some of that scripture, but we're going to be hitting it later, so I'm, I'm not going to camp out there per se. But it actually states that he held the cloaks of the individuals that were doing this. It actually says in Galatians that he approved of Stephen's death. And so, sometimes what happens because of evil is that we are emboldened by evil to greater evil. The death of Stephen emboldened Saul to, destroy, to seek and destroy the Jerusalem church. It's not just enough to kill Stephen, one of the great uh, patriarchs of the church. One of the seven deacons, right? No, now that we've done that and gotten away with it, why stop there? And this is a challenge that we face today. Look, you need to just accept this because this is what's fair. 
it's really not going to lead to anything else. You know, and, and people will say, but if you, if you breach here, it's going to go down, and, and, and you kind of get uh, ostracized and uh, demoralized by uh, people in arguments or in um, discussion or discourse because they're saying, you're being unreasonable. Of course, making this one little um, choice isn't going to lead to these. You're, you're blowing it way out of perspective. Of course it does. In our own personal lives and the world around us. And so now, because Stephen is murdered in the streets of Jerusalem, Saul gets some gumption. By the way, as we learn more and more about Saul or Paul, you're going to find this was a highly driven individual. Pre-Christ and salvation Christ you know, Paul. Highly driven individual. And so what happens is that he goes house to house and he drags, literally drags people out of their homes and throws them into church. Uh, into prison. <laughs> Throw, throws them into... Maybe we should implement that. I'll be coming to your house later this week. The church has persecuted so much that it spreads like seed. You see this word, you're going to see it. I, I went ahead and mentioned this, but it's going to come up in the second part of the passage. Verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the church scattered. It, it, it's this term diaspora. And, and this word actually is, it holds the concept of spreading seed. You have this word as scattered, within your text more than likely, but there is a result under the persecution how the church scattered, right? That there were great things that happened, and we'll get to that in a minute. What else happened? The emboldened um, evil to greater evil. Uh, the insipid evil of an amoral self-interest is at the root of all evil or sin. And we can see that played out here by Saul. An individual is murdered who was a leader within the church, and once you get away with that, why stop there? It's going to proliferate until every aspect of what I disagree with is eliminated. And we'll see how that affected... Ow, so sorry. I got a bum knee. That's evil. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, see, Rich? If I go down, you're up, okay? Um, I'm just going to sit right here the rest of the sermon, and we'll be good. So who is Saul? Uh, Saul was uh, a, a Jewish man, and he was born in Tarsus around 4 AD. He would have been a contemporary of Jesus. He was, in fact, a Pharisee. He called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he was zealous to make a name for himself. What does that mean? Any of you driven at work? How many of you love the idea of getting the corner office? Any of you love being employee of the month? Any of you love having your face on YouTube? Right? Yes, I've got one honest person in the group. Fantastic. That was Saul. That was Saul. Very, very driven. He claimed to be the best Pharisee. He claimed to be the best Jew. He claimed to be the best apostle. You can see that in Galatians uh, 1, 13-17. He was a Jew from Tarsus that was um, up in the Syria area, the, the coastal northern Israel area. And he understood 
enough about the Greek language that he could write in what was called common Greek. Um, often he would dictate his letters. We're going to get into a lot of his epistles. Um, often those were dictated, but sometimes he speaks about how he wrote those in his own hand. So he had some education, but he was uh, by no means aristocratic. Uh, an aristocrat or aristocracy um, of the day. He was more of a blue-collar individual, as we see. And why would we say that? Because he was trained in tent-making. We see later on in his life, as Paul, as he would travel on his missionary journeys, that he would rely back on his, his giftedness or his trade, per se, of making tents. And he would go into areas and start uh, practicing his craft in order to support himself. Tent making wasn't necessarily an illustrious position of the aristocracy or, or the highly educated. He may have been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That just meant that he had studied well and he knew more than most. And maybe this is what drove him to be uh, number one, so to speak. As he was tired of, of, of seeing himself down here and he wanted to see himself up here. And so he was going to make a name for himself, and as he sees the lack of consequence to Stephen's death, he opens the floodgates. He gets letters from the high priest to give him, quote-unquote, permission, and he starts going house to house in Jerusalem and dragging people out of their homes to imprison them. It was his goal. It was his passion. It was his life's desire to torture the followers of Jesus Christ. This is evil. This is evil. But here's the great thing. Jesus is going to step in. And we're going to see that. You know, usually when it comes to evil, there, there's a couple things that happen. All right, now you all pray and I don't go down and blow out my knee. Good. I've invoked you to prayer. Usually a couple things, maybe three things happen when it comes to evil. People receive the recompense of their choices. Okay? Jesus steps in and changes a heart from evil to what? To good. Or Jesus steps in and eliminates the evil. For you and I, I really encourage you, let's go with door number two. Let's go with door number two. And we're going to see that later on, not today, but we're going to see that later on, coming up real soon in the story in Acts, where Saul is on his way to Damascus to persecute the church again. And what happens? Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in. So remember... What do you do with evil? Remember that Jesus is going to step in. Let's go back to our little lifetime um, play. Let's go to Genesis 3, if, if you can. Turn there in your Bibles. Because if we look at this answer to evil, we see it played out in the early church with what Saul is doing. And really, if you're going to solve the mystery before anybody else, you've got to ask yourself why. You've got to ask yourself, what is the motivation for this person? So let's go all the way back to the beginning, shall we? Isn't it crazy that we can go all the way back to the beginning and find the answer to exactly why this is happening? It has existed since the dawn of man. So you, you heard the story, and it was acted out so beautifully on screen, right? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. 
He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Hmm. You know, here's the first approach of evil. It desires to twist the truth. As we discuss the issues of, of good and evil, right and wrong in our society, if you find yourself speaking from a biblical context, you're going to find resistance to that. You're going to find big-time resistance to that. And the reason is that evil cannot exist with God's truth. It will not desire to partner with God's truth. So what is its only option? To twist the truth. And here we see it at the inception of evil. And Satan says, did God really tell you that? Are you sure? Are you sure you're remembering that? Now watch what happens. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat. Good job, Eve. Way to go, girl. You were able to quote it. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now here's where her problem was. If someone comes along and challenges you and tries to twist and distort what God has said, you probably shouldn't continue in conversation with them on that subject. Because she was susceptible. She was susceptible to being twisted in her understanding of truth. And look at what happens. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There we go. Let's replace the truth with the lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, brace yourselves because here it comes. You want to unlock the mystery of evil? Here it is. I'm giving it to you way before we finish. Well, 10 minutes before we finish. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What's the answer to evil? Well, you saw those three things that I want you to walk away with today. One is that you have to acknowledge that evil is real. There's a reality of evil. Most of our society, most of our culture wants to dissipate that idea. And that's exactly what happened. The very first moments of evil and the very first sin that happened. Satan said, come on, come on, that's not really what God said. Let's twist the truth. Then next... By the way, let me do a sales job on you. Here's really why God told you this. Because if you do eat of it, you're going to be like him. That can't be bad, right? Brothers and sisters, spoiler alert. This is the mystery solved to why evil exists. We desire to be like God. There can only be one God. And when we challenge him for that position, the only way we challenge him is when we work another truth. Alt news. Fake news. Right? We want to come up with our own version of the truth. Otherwise, we're completely fine. We're copacetic with God's will, right? But when we want to do something, we want to eat of the tree which was commanded explicitly. This is our problem. So the fall, remember this. 
She's tempted with the idea you can be like God. You will have the right in your own eyes to do what you want without consequence or without conscience. Great marketing plan. The result was what? Here's the result of this choice of buying into this sales job. Murder within your family. Do any of us own something within our family because of our choice of evil? Do any of us own something that has transposed upon our children and their behaviors because of our choices? Folks, this is a reality. Now it's getting dangerous. But it is dangerous. Because the consequences are laying in shambles at our feet all over the place. And it's because of our choice to play God. And we see it at the beginning. We see it 2,000 years ago with Saul. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Have you ever seen a sheep in the open territory? Okay, yeah, that's us. Each one has turned to his own way. Wise in my own eyes. Wise in my own heart. I will be like God. My opinion matters most. This is why Proverbs, when it lists the seven deadly sins, they say pride is the most destructive. Romans 8, 18-24, my knee. Let's talk about the evilness of my knee right now, since that's become a visual demonstration and illustration today. Some of us deal with physical maladies, right? I'm not even sure what malady means, but you're jacked up physically, Okay. Let me explain where that came from. It came from what we just read out of Genesis 3. You see, what God made was perfect. What God made was meant to exist perfectly. But as a result, not only did murder happen, but pain happened. The blessedness of being in constant union with God was rejected, and they were forced out of that which was prepared beautifully for them, and they were forced out because of one decision. Romans 8 speaks to this. Paul understands that from that moment forward, sin entered into the world. And he says this, all of creation is frustrated. It's not the way God made it. And it's going to continue that way until God comes again and finally brings all things together under His authority and creates a new heaven and a new earth. So the reality for you and I is when we acquire cancer, when we get um, uh, a migraine condition, when we uh, suffer um, uh, some horrific tragedy or we're in chronic pain, it is really difficult not to blame God because I can see other people that don't have that. And many of us may say, I didn't make these active choices to pursue evil. So why am I being punished with this? There is a general sense that you and I live in evil and we generally receive the recompense because of that. We live in a broken system. I may get into my dad's car, right, which has no brakes, and we're driving along and all of a sudden we rear end someone and I'm thinking, what? I didn't cause the brakes. I wasn't driving. Well, the problem is it's my dad's car and I'm along for the ride. Folks, you're along for the ride. 
until Christ fixes, which he will, with a new heaven and a new earth, we have to live within this construct that is broken, Paul says. So let's understand that aspect right now about evilness, is that there is a residual effect from the fall. And I just want to challenge you in that idea, think about these two quotes. If you want to know how to answer the problem of evil, you have to start with the idea of it being self-evident, empirical, and moral truth. You have to start with God. All right? You are not God. Therefore, stop acting like you are. Secondly, or primarily, there has to be a recognition that the suppression of truth is the cultivation of evil. You want to answer the problem of evil, you've got to wrestle with those two concepts. Where do we go from there? Well, part of evil, part of the problem of evil is, is an anthropological and modern problem as well. How many of you just love... Actually, I shouldn't ask that. Because there may be some in the room that do. And that would be a tragedy. Again, you would be part of that mob that was beating me up outside the gym at lunch. We've heard some of the most heinous comments from our own very civilized people in this nation this past week. One, who's a leader in government who said that the senator who was shot, he wished he had died. Because he's so polarized against the other individual's politics. Remember, the challenge here is that we believe we're God. Right? So, it's not too far afield to think about Saul who now feels emboldened to go out and persecute the church and kill believers when we see this happening in our nation right now. We see some of the A-list Hollywood actors calling for the assassination of our president. We're not that far removed from 2,000 years ago, are we? What's the constant? The constant is evil. And if we keep turning a blind eye to it, we will suffer the consequences of it. Our problem with evil is an, is an anthropological problem. And it's a modern problem. Turn to Romans 1 with me. Let me prove my point. So Paul, after what had happened um, here in, in our narrative in Acts, Paul is writing to the church at Rome and where does he start after his greetings? He starts with the reality of evil. And he speaks very plainly about it. But I'm going to take you to verse 21 through 32. Remember that our problem with evil is a current one, it's an ancient one, and it's man-centered. So verse 21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became, how many of your scriptures have the word futile? How many of your scriptures have the word foolish? Just in case we don't know what futile means. Because that's the modern interpretation of futile. How many of you are bothered that I'm saying futile? <laughs> Sorry, it's my San Diego accent. All right. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Now, it's really easy to point to the other person and say, yeah, pastor, boy, that person's futile in their thinking. Anybody who doesn't agree with my point of view, yep, pastor, as a matter of fact, you're going to be in a conversation Wednesday at 10 around the water cooler. And you're, my pastor talked about you on Sunday. Let me just show you Romans 1. Because you're in the script. That's part of the challenge. Everybody's wise in their own eyes. It starts here. It starts here if we're going to overcome this issue of evilness. But Paul is saying the general problem here is what? They became futile in their thinking. It starts with your thinking. Then it moves to the idea that their foolish hearts, now their hearts are darkened because of their thinking. What are you presenting to your mind? And what is the due course of it? What's the veracity of it? Your worldview, your philosophy on life, what does it promote? What is it invoking? What is it causing? I encourage you to examine that. Does it promote peace? Does it promote wholeness? Does it promote purity? Does it promote um, love? Or does it promote violence? Does it promote selfishness? Does it promote pride? At its finest points, does it hold the ostracization and death of the enemy as an end result? That's all around us today. Goes from futile thinking to a futile heart that then becomes darkened. Claiming to be wise. <laughs> There's part of the problem as well, right? We all think that our worldview is probably the best one, right? And we're going to try to convince, and you know that's what I'm doing right now. Let me just share with you, it's not my worldview. It's God's worldview. I'm just preaching it. Somebody give me an amen on that. All right. Claiming to be wise, they became what? The trisacta. There you have it. They hit foolish three times and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images <clears throat> resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in much of what we face out there, it's about what it gives to me or it's about worshiping things other than God. Look, I believe that God asks us to care for the environment, without a doubt. But if you want me to listen to the idea of shutting down the Dakota pipeline, and you go out there and you sacrifice, and you're out there in the winter, and, and you're doing all those things, okay, you, you kind of got my attention. I'm going to go study it now. All right, that activism kind of got my attention. But if you're going to leave what would amount to the New York City dump when you leave, I'm not paying attention anymore. You just lost all credibility. Now let me just share something with you. When we do not act like Christ, yet we try to promote Christ, guess what the world says? 
you've lost all credibility in my mind. See how I flipped that around? That was just kind of really good right there. Do you see that? That was, because um, we were all like, yeah, yeah, oh, that, that. oh, what? Oh. <laughs> What's one of the insipid realities of evil? It starts with man. It's an anthropological problem and it's a modern problem. And then it says God gave them over to be released to their own devices. I understand this. I understand it as recently as last night. I was sharing with the worship band earlier that um, I had a moment last night. I'm going to come clean with you all. I can deal with upfront evil, but when it sneaks in, sometimes it really really gets me and had some meat went to the store a week ago and it's time to get it done right you don't want that meat sitting in the fridge and my barbecue is completely falling apart i mean you talk entropy you talk about the destruction of mankind it's happening within my barbecue it's about nine years old and and i replaced the top part that you put the meat on like three or four times but it's it's falling apart actually the last meat we had was a little crunchy. I'm not convinced it was the meat. And so I've been looking for a new barbecue, but I found one, but I hadn't had time to go get it. And so I grab this meat, I throw it on. As I grab it with the fork, I take it out of the package and I throw it down and I put the other piece over here and then I'm putting the seasoning on and I look and I'm like, what is that black stuff? And I look and the plastic underneath the meat stuck to the meat. I'm a veteran barbecue guy. That I have never done in my life. And now I've got this plastic melting to my grill, which is not holding together very well at all. So I try to remove the meat. Now I'm trying, what do I do with this? And this one's burning over here. And as I try to do this, now the whole grill falls in on, on top of the, the, the burners. And I'm trying with a pair of scissors and my long fork to grab this thing. And all the time the dog's licking my leg because he wants the meat. And I'm like, I'm good, and, and so I, I grab the meat, I, I throw it back into the dish that has all the bad juice from the original. So I throw it back in there, and it's covered with plastic. And I'm like, what do I do with this? So then I go into the house, and I go into the sink, and I'm like, i got to wash off this meat, right? So I start washing off, but there's a, a pile this high of God's destruction of dirty plates in the sink. And as I'm doing this, I'm trying to scrub this off, and I accidentally hit a thing, and it goes like this, and it hits a teapot and breaks the teapot. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And one of my children is just finding out about this right now. This is the demonstration of evil. So as I'm, I'm like, oh, great, now that broke. And I'm trying to get this thing. Then I remember, wait, I left the other piece of meat on the barbecue that fell down. So I run into the backyard, and I'm, I'm trying to get that out. And now the dog's underneath my feet. Now the dog's scared. And I'm going back in and out. And I'm like, I can't believe this. And I go back, and I'm washing off the meat. And I hit this plastic bowl that we got for chips. It goes flying across the counter, hits the roses, the dried roses that were saved for, I think, like when a grandma died. She gave them to one of my children. And all these leaves go flying everywhere like it's a ticker tape parade. And I'm like, I can't believe what is happening. I finally got the meat done and I calmed down and the dog's my friend again. And then I went out and I got my barbecue. Right? I should have waited. I should have waited. But you know, evil comes in different forms. 
It comes in different forms, and so God gave them over. I got to tell you, you could come up to me and say the most evil thing, and I'm going to be fine, but it's those little things that get me underneath the skin, and God gave me over to my own devices last night. Now, I do that just to break up the, the monotony a little bit, but honestly, we make choices to pursue evil, and that foolishness comes and darkens our heart. There is a moment in time where God removes, we say your grace is enough, where God removes his hand of grace. One of the things that is often said about evil is, I will not believe that there is a benevolent God when I see so much evil. Can I just help you answer that? Evil didn't come about because of God. We own that one. We read it out of Genesis 3. And every single time, Every single time we make the choice to be God, there will be a consequence to that. Now, not all of that encapsulates the evil that is around us and that we have to face. But certainly a large portion of that, at a certain point when God removes his hand of grace upon a people, the destructive nature of those people sometimes is insurmountable. That's on us. That's on the people. Thank God Jesus inserts himself. So let me ask you this. How do we solve this mystery of evil? Well, John 3. Turn there real quickly and then we'll wrap up today. Jesus is speaking to a lawyer. That's confronting evil. I can say that because Brad's not here today. Jesus is speaking to a lawyer. His name is Nicodemus. He's logical in how he approaches life. And so this is the famous passage that you get John 3.16 out of. And, and many of us know John 3.16, but, but our Sunday school teachers, our Bible study leaders, did us a disservice by making us stop there. Because why do I need God's love? Great question. And by the way, bulb number two, somebody asked me last week, I thought we were going to hear uh, bulb number two. You're going to hear about bulb number two coming up. The person got called into work last week, and he has to work this week as well. But that individual had that question. I just don't get it. I don't know why I need Jesus. Why do I need God's love? I hear what you're saying about John 3.16. Big deal. I'm fine. I've taken care of myself and life's going pretty good. I don't feel this need. Well, here's the reality of what Jesus says and one of the ways to unlock the mystery and find the answer to evil. Start in verse 18. It says this, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be what? Exposed. This is the problem we have with evil, brothers and sisters. Is if we're going to confront, how many of us would describe ourselves as evil? 
Yeah, it's just not part of who we are. There are those individuals in society that have embraced it, but it's really not part of who we are. And yet, in our choices, we make choices to pursue evil. Every time we put ourselves up as God versus God, we, we present ourselves to evil. We choose darkness rather than light. There is a huge challenge in trying to get over that. Actually, you and I can never do that. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit revealing that, which is exactly what happened for light number two. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we become convicted for our need for God and our eyes are opened up to the fact that we are evil, that we have this sin in our life. So, mystery solved. Where is God in the face of evil? So let me just take you back real quickly to the story of Joseph. Joseph gets beaten up by his brothers, gets thrown in a pit, gets sold into slavery, gets thrown down to Egypt, kind of makes a name for himself, becomes second in charge, in, in, or first in charge in the second most powerful man in Egypt, and then he gets falsely accused of raping a woman. Now he gets thrown in jail again. And there's a whole lot of other stuff. I'm just truncating the story. And over and over this happens. Eventually, he's, he's, um, uh, he's, vil- he's not vilified, he's justified, and he's now over Pharaoh's house, number one. Next to Pharaoh, number one over, over all the land. Now suddenly his brothers show up because there's a famine, and they don't recognize him. And he does this little fun theater moment and then decides to reveal himself to his brothers, and they're scared to death. And his words were simply this, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Where is God in the face of evil? He's there. He's there. And he's working out his plan in the midst of it. Does God create evil? No. Absolutely not. Will God work in the face of evil? Yes. Will he allow Satan to tempt and put us through trials? He did that with his own son. Yes. And that is for our benefit that we might grow. The gospel came to those in Samaria via Philip. Let's look at this passage. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So what happens? Saul goes around pulling people out of their house, throwing them in jail. How many of you are going to stick in town? We're hitting it, man. Okay, I kind of know somebody over in the Central Valley. They got room, right? Yeah, we're going to go live there no matter how hot it is. We're going to go live out there in the Central Valley. And nobody in the Central Valley knows Jesus. They're actually all hiding out from the law. Uh, I've got a relative that believes that. It's the only reason why you would live in the Central Valley. <laughs> right? And so we're sitting out there, and, and all of a sudden, Rich here is, is living out there with, uh, with, family, with a, a, a family full of Polish immigrants. And they've never heard about Jesus. I don't know why Polish immigrants. It just came to me. And uh, I don't even know if Rich knows anybody who's German. Okay, distant cousin. Let's keep moving with the story. And so uh, Rich is out there. And so he brings the gospel to them because it's just a natural part of their life. But God forced him away from this area so that the gospel would go to that area. And what happens? It says Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaim to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And where we finished in the previous thought was that people were being thrown into prison. 
Where do we finish with this thought? So there was much joy in that city. You see, even though there's evilness, because Jesus came down and inserted himself into that evilness, God can work in spite of what is going on. And as we see what happened, the church probably would have stayed would have been very much like the American... How, how do I know that? Because that's what the American church does so often. Is that we get real comfortable and we'll just stay here where that same command applies to us, right? Go into all the world and preach the good news. What would have happened if the persecution didn't come? We can't say for sure that Philip wouldn't have gone or the other disciples wouldn't have gone, but it certainly was moved up on the priority scale. There is goodness that can happen in the face of evil. In God's economy, we have to understand He is always at work. At work in, through, and around us so that many might come into the glorious light. Evil exists because of unchecked sin. It has always been man's unmitigated choice of himself acting as God that has unleashed evil. But God gives grace and God provides peace, hope, and love in the face of evil. There was an individual in closing, I just want to share this story, named Fanny Crosby. Some of you know who Fanny Crosby is. She wrote over 5,500 to maybe even 9,000 hymns, many of which we sing still today. And so what happens? What happens? Did you know Fanny Crosby is blind? Fanny Crosby was blind. And when asked, what would you do? Would you choose to be free from this? To have a life like everybody else? To not have this malady? To not have this problem? And here's what Fanny Crosby says. If I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. You see, beauty can rise out of evil. Beauty can come up into the face of evil. There will always be a consequence to evil. But sometimes the result of evil is grace and beauty and God's work. This is the answer to evil. Jesus inserted himself. Let me close in prayer. We're going to close with a song. As we do so, if you've brought your gifts today, if you've brought your offerings, um, we do have the boxes in the back. Uh, if you're visiting today or if you have any prayer requests, take those white cards that are in the back of the chairs, fill those out, and uh, put your information on the back, your prayer requests on the back, that goes in the box on the right, and the uh, box on the left is for your gifts. Thank you so much. We pray that what you walk away with today is a sense of God. Let me pray over our time. We'll close with a song. Father, thank you for the blessedness of what was recorded in Scripture so that we can see, we can understand what it means to be faithful in the face of evil. Let us consider our own hearts and look and understand and humble ourselves, purify our hearts, wash our hands so that we might be before you, so that you might exalt us. Father, take these words today, take the songs, lift us up, and let us walk in, in joy and in peace while we have to navigate through a world that embraces evil. 
We praise you, Father, for all things. Amen.